This episode contains discussions of medical malpractice and serial murder. Listener discretion is advised. Committee, a monthly podcast where we discuss villains from media and history, what makes a good villain, and what makes a bad villain better. I'm your host, Exala, and I encourage that no one goes in the basement. And as your other host, Trinzala, I do say that is because you look quite deficient in vitamin D. I could help with that. If you would just sign this willingness to consent form, yeah. Yeah. Today, we are covering a historical villain, but first, feedback time! So in episode 6, about Cameron, uh, I sounded apparently a little bit louder than X, and so we did some rituals, a little bit of sacrifices, prayer if you could call it that. Anyway, I hope the audio was a little bit better by the time episode 7 rolled around. It was also noted that It's likely that Cameron's files were copied and saved somewhere, especially if his experiments were funded by the CIA, they were definitely keeping copies somewhere. Maybe they were destroyed in fires, or hidden under dirt, or put into the vault. Secret tunnel! Secret tunnel! And according to the Scotsman, it is illegal for the CIA to conduct operations on American soil, and thus their choice to go through Canada... Uh, using it as like, like a third party with like Cornell in New York to funnel research. And, and McGill to, in Canada. Yeah. yeah to uh, fund the research into mind control projects. Although, let's be real, they probably did it on American soil anyway, just yeah. on the hush-hush. Yeah. That brings us into feedback for episode 7 about Humbert from Lolita. Some people were curious about our mysterious past destroying galaxies and wearing neon. Well, Humbert mentions his mom again in the middle of the audiobook. Uh, One of our listeners, Nav, mentioned that Humbert subconsciously connects back to the loss of his maternal influence. Kind of an overlooked bit in our analysis of it, but I think it's definitely likely that Humbert is influenced by the loss of his mother. In addition, if you want to learn about hobo signs, you can go check out the video from Modern Rogue. They explain it very well, how to read them, understand them, and practical applications of knowing hobo signs. And also, apparently when Humbert gets confronted by the stalker, it's actually not supposed to be a a confrontational scene necessarily, but because they have a flat tire, but then it kind of turns into the confirmation scene, as we kind of notice. I guess closer to, yeah, one of the last notes we had, we mentioned that Lolita may, or at least Humbert from Lolita may have been inspired by people like Charlie Chaplin. And Chaplin probably was a pedophile or, quote, at least a DiCaprio with youngins, unquote. I mean, one of his wives was actually named Lilita. And when she was 12, they had a kissing scene together. So maybe we found a new villain to cover in the future. Oh, I actually did not know that about Charlie. Good old Charlie. Yeah. I don't know. He always felt kind of like a silent type to me. (laughs) Anyway, we're not talking about... 
pedophiles anymore. Or right now. At least now. for a long ass yes, time. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm tired of them. So, let's talk about somebody who didn't diddle children, but dallied in a lot of um, nasty stuff. Ooh. We're going to take a trip into the Wayback Machine, once again, to France to cover Dr. Marcel Petiot. Or better known as Dr. Satan. How did we discover this villain, Braytel? For once, it was actually something that I was working on. Usually you inform me about villains that we can cover. Um, I was actually doing a pitch for a graphic novel that was set during World War II. And in some of my research process, I was reading a bunch of comics. And one of them happened to be set during the similar time frame, but was actually about the villain we're covering today and happens to be one of the sources called The Butcher of Paris. So I read a graphic novel set in World War II that was actually about this villain today. He actually seems really interesting. He was like a French medical doctor, a serial killer, kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde figure, right? Yeah, exactly. He was convicted of over 27 murders through cyanide injection or uh, gas inhalation, but he likely committed way more. But we'll, we'll get into that soon. And for this episode, some of our sources include... Dr. Satan, The Unbelievable Story of a Serial Killer, Dr. Marcel Pio, by Megan McRae. Also, Dr. Marcel Petio, Murderpedia's article by Michael Newton. Dr. Marcel Pio, there's a lot of saying his name, right? Uh, serial Murder, an article by Arthur Gale. And the aforementioned Butcher of Paris, the graphic novel by Stephanie Phillips. All right, now that we've done our diligence, let's get into... Petio's early life. Which seems like a bit scrambled, I would say. Kind of like this, all over the place when we were looking into it. This guy is kind of scrambled. Oh, yeah. He's or at least his brain is. Yeah, absolutely chaotic. I guess the devil works in mysterious ways. <laughs> the devil, Satan. Yeah, yeah. Petio was born January 17th, 1897 in Auxerre, France, which was 100 miles south of Paris. And he had a weird childhood. Yeah. I mean, he sounds kind of normal for a serial killer. He was torturing <laughs> animals, just doing, like, delinquent shit. He was trying to pressure, like, classmates into, like, inappropriate situations. At 11 years old, he ended up bringing his father's gun into school, shooting it. Not at anyone in particular, but I think to do a weird flex but okay kind of thing. Like, you guys want to see a trick? Bang, everyone's afraid. Bang, bang, take that ceiling. Like, he didn't hurt anyone, but just, like... The most wild, stupid shit. Yeah, and it scared people, and everyone was like, this guy is kind of unhinged. Now, it's unclear how many of these various rumors are true, but as far as we know, the gun incident was legitimate, and some are very likely, especially him torturing animals, which is a common factor in a serial killer's evolution. Around the time of 1907 and 1909, in that time frame... Pitio's parents were talking to physicians, and apparently uh, Marcel was prone to convulsions, sleepwalking, wetting his pants, which, apparently, looking into this, are all signs of a potential serial killer to come. Those things are all alarming. I think it would also be pretty alarming for his parents, basically giving a laundry list of, like, mental and physical issues that their child is experiencing. Look at me, Dad! Bang, 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 bang! (laughs) pisses the bed (laughs) demon child they brought up these concerns but unfortunately in 1912 petio's mom died and his dad ended up kind of uh 
let's, I guess, say a French goodbye, French exit, he took a job 15 miles away and sent Petio to live with his aunt until, who would have guessed it, he got expelled from school at the end of the year. Honestly, a French dad going to get cigarettes and never returning. I don't think he just completely abandoned him, but hands off, I don't want to deal with this kid very much anymore. (laughs) Now, after he got expelled from school, he was taken from his aunt's house to stay with his dad, but once again... Got expelled from that school, too, for, quote, unruly behavior and over-excitation, unquote. So he went from doing kind of small-timey things to actually moving up. It wasn't thrilling anymore to shoot ceilings, apparently. (laughs) He had to actually go out and rob mailboxes, destroy, like, people's houses... Just be an all-around dick, basically. He evolved from rebel without a cause to rebel without a cause, but being a lot more chaotic. Exactly. Yeah, he got charged at the age of 17 with theft and property damage for robbing mailboxes, and the court, instead of trying to put him in prison, recommended a psych evaluation. Which is probably a good call. But it didn't yield very much. In March 26, 1914, a psychiatrist diagnosed Petio as mentally ill, which, surprise, surprise, the doctor said he was, quote, an abnormal youth suffering from personal and hereditary problems, which limit to a large degree his responsibility for his acts. Eh, maybe it's because of his mental illness, but like Marcus Park says from last podcast on the left, mental illness is not your fault, but it's still your responsibility. So yes. I don't think it this, like excuses him for anything. No, no. Theoretically, if a psychiatrist was explaining, oh, this might be the reason for your kid's issue, proper treatment should have been had. But the charges got dropped against Petio in August of that year, and he was just kind of, like, released back into the wild. No care, no reprimand, no knowledge on how to do things better or improve. And he got expelled from two more schools. Surprise, surprise. But... He finally finished his education at a special academy in Paris in July of 1915. And for his graduation present, in January of 1916, Petio got drafted into the French military for the good old World War One. Yay! Woo-hoo! In November of that year, he ended up going to the front. So he did his due diligence, he did his training, he finished school. Surprisingly. Got sent off to war. But... He was shortly thereafter wounded by grenade fragments and gassed in Ain. And after this, I mean, I think it's to be expected. Anyone experiencing something traumatic during a war, especially, he began exhibiting more symptoms of a mental breakdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's suspected that Hitler's, like, mental breakdown after getting gassed is probably what sent him on the path of Hitler. Oh, not being rejected from art school? Oh, yeah. That, that actually was probably more crushing, to be fair. <laughs> I didn't think about that one. I didn't put that one into the notes. After this breakdown, Petio was sent to various rest homes where he could recoup and hopefully heal. But he got back on that grind set or that crime set because he started stealing army blankets and was eventually jailed in Orleans. What? It's just, why? Why would you steal blankets? Is that like the currency? He was cold. He's just that cold. Frigid bitch. He, he got so cold that he literally got arrested for how cold he was. That's a cold son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. After this arrest, he ended up at a psych hospital in Fleury-les-Aubrais, where he was actually diagnosed with a, a few more things to add to that laundry list, including, quote, mental disequilibrium, neurasthenia, mental depression, melancholia, obsessions, and phobias, unquote. Ooh, 
Got the whole set. Got the collector's edition. Uh, not quite. Soon. Eventually. <laughs> oh, boy. And because of this reason of insanity, his charges of stealing blankets was dropped. I guess that's reasonable because they needed more manpower. Mm-hmm. And thus he was sent back to the wall in June of 1918. But three weeks later, he had a nervous breakdown and was transferred out after literally shooting himself in the foot. What do you do? He shot himself in the foot. Wait. Oh, I guess. Actually. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, we know he has a laundry list of mental issues, but I think he wanted out of the war at this point. Yeah, you could probably say that. It was actually pretty interesting in that comic that you were reading. Mm Mm-hmm. The grenade that he initially got injured with, with the gas and whatnot, it was actually implied that he set it off himself. Yeah, to be fair, the graphic novel is dramatized, but knowing his track record of, like, crime and wanting out of various things, I could see it happening. That he's like, I'm gonna do it! This is the man who, stealing blankets, shooting himself in the foot, shooting guns randomly into the air. I would not put it past this guy. I guess you could call him a loose cannon. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, despite trying to get out, or maybe just having a breakdown and shooting himself in the foot, in September of 1918, he was, once again, shipped off to a new regiment, where he continued acting spastic and erratic, and notably started complaining of headaches. Now, I think these headaches were most likely, like, some type of maybe tumor or chemical imbalance that would maybe contribute to his serial killings later in life. Speculation. Just a speculation. Just a speculation. I think it's a good one, though. I agree. And after this, he was sent back for another psych evaluation in March of 1919. But he got some new diagnoses tacked onto the ever-growing list of issues that he had, including amnesia, sleepwalking, depression, and suicidal tendencies. Now, I think the amnesia probably just got tacked on there because he probably, like, stole the doctor's pen and he was like hey what do you have doing that and he's like oh i i don't remember stealing this i don't remember stealing army blankets he's like mm-hmm sure and then sounds likely yeah anyway these extra illnesses got him like discharged with a finally yeah finally it's taken him long enough to either force himself into an illness or end up in a weird circumstance Right. Fortunately, he got like a 40% disability pension, which is pretty... It's decent. Yeah, that's really good, actually. After his case was reviewed in September of 1920, his disability rating was actually increased to 100%, and he was suggested to be sent to an asylum. So they're like, okay, you get 40%, you know, you're mostly fine. But bang, 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 starts shooting like the <laughs> like, oh, ceiling. shit. <laughs> yeah, you're a little bit more fucked up than we thought. So we're going to give you that cash money. Cash money, baby. They wanted to refer Petio to an asylum, which Actually, eventually he he did go to another one, but not in the way that you would think. I think you would actually go insane from going into this institution. It's medical school. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Petio ended up going to medical school. He was offered an accelerated degree for war veterans and ended up completing his degree in the long-ass time of eight months. Eight months? Yeah. Shortly thereafter, he did go to an asylum, but to serve as a psychiatric intern for two years. Now, in today's modern society, it takes a long time to become a doctor. You got your four years bachelor's, you got your four years master's, you got some kind of postdoc, internships. Wait, are master's only two? I, I'm not a doctor. You can't, don't quote me on that. Uh, it I, takes a long time to be a doctor. I think on average it is 10 years. 
So the fact that this guy got a medical degree in under three years is kind of astounding. Granted, it was a different time, but... Eh. I mean, he must be a genius, right? Sure. Actually, I think during this time, to become a doctor would have only taken about four years, whereas now it takes so, 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 so long. Mm-hmm. But still, eight months? Come on. Plus a two-year internship. When do you go to Phoenix University? <laughs> Trump University? I think his medical studies, and also maybe his uh, few stints in various asylums, acted kind of as his mentor in the villain's arc. Now, he didn't have a specific person, but he learned how to be a doctor, how to be a bad doctor, and how to be a patient in a way kind of like a hybrid of Cameron and Humbert from our last two episodes. I get it, yeah. I guess that could also kind of accelerate your studies in a way and be like, (laughs) yeah, been through this. Yup, been here. Yeah. In December 15, 1921, Petio got his official medical degree from the Faculty of Medicine in Paris, in which he became a fully-fledged physician. My question is, what is it with shady people always getting medical degrees? I wouldn't trust a doctor with eight months of study and a two-year internship. No shit. I don't think anyone really would. But in this time, they needed doctors, so you take what you get. Hmm. Actually... I think I would go to a doctor that studied for eight months and did two years of internships. You know why? It all depends on what they prescribe. Ah, uh-huh, sure. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I guess I guess he eventually became known for that. Give him the good stuff. Give him the good stuff. Narcotics. At 25 years of age, Petio moved to vino sur where he began his medical malpractice. Now, surprisingly, he was actually really good at marketing and merchandising yeah you wouldn't have expected that from this guy but he kind of did his own like propaganda when he moved to this town yeah he put like flyers like all over town saying like look at these old doctors they don't know what they're doing they're all old and stuff they're still draining they're still bleeding people over here fuck your doctors they use leeches i use some morphine and he said that i do not exploit any of my patients and treat them with the utmost care. It's funny how that turned out. Right? Now, Petio was actually pretty charming to his patients. Of course, you put on the mask, face value, good bedside manner, people will come to you. But he started scamming his patients shortly thereafter. He began double-dipping by secretly enrolling them for state medical assistance, which means, at this time, that not only are they paying him, Petio, out of pocket, but also he's getting paid by the government at the same time. Right. I think this is where most of his motivations and temptations from here on out come from. For is sure. Money and possessions and really just the thrill of crime. Yeah. He likes stealing money, possessions, or otherwise. But the fact that he starts scamming patients, I think, is where the money and power ties into it. So yes, his motivations are money and possessions. At the same time, Petio began overprescribing the aforementioned addictive narcotics to patients, maybe to get them to keep coming back. And they did come back. He was actually really well-liked around town, mm-hmm. probably because they didn't know about the secret double-dipping stuff. No, no, he's nice to them. He gives them what they want. He's like, oh, honey, it's okay. You're sick. I'll help you out. In the meantime, he's living the high life. He's buying sports cars. He's getting nice houses going out with the fancy women and because he's a well-liked doctor they kind of like shove everything under the rug when he like 
crashes like a billion times, probably like racing some kids on the street. Yeah, he sounded like a hazard on the streets, but most people are like, oh, but he's so nice. He wouldn't do anything like that. Mr. Toad on the streets, Dr. Jekyll on the sheets. (laughs) Well, things kind of caught up to him. Despite all of this reform of his life, yeah, he had some stints in institutions, but he's he's building up. He's legit enough, I guess. But in March of 1922, the Commission de Reforme demanded new psychiatric examinations in order for Petiot to keep getting his disability payments. He refused. He was kind of on his high horse, like, no, 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 I don't want to debase myself for this. He wanted to avoid the, quote, disagreeable bit of exhibitionism, unquote, that they were trying to instill upon him. And I think this becomes a habit for him whenever he gets into trouble and people are like, hey, you have to submit this or like you like in order to keep doing this thing, you have to uh, give us proof. Get evaluated. Get evaluated or go through this examination or test or give something to us and he's just like nah i'll he just worms his way out of it yeah he's like i'll just stop doing this medical practice thing or stop doing whatever activity i am doing or get into a different position of power scaling right. diagonally in a way at this point he continued to get the full disability payment until july of 1923 where he was eventually re-examined and his checks were cut in half because people evaluated him and saw that he had no shits to give about his future and they're like i don't i don't know if we want to keep supporting this guy's lifestyle he's living for the moment man it's all about the here and now you know really focusing on the now improves your mental health and that's why i try to show my patients it also helps curb the population if you keep crashing cars into children but you know that's hearsay in 1926, Petio began an affair with someone named Louise de Laveau, who just so happened to be the daughter of one of his elderly patients. Great. Yay! Now, although Pio was not confirmed connected, after the affair, de Laveau's mom's house was actually robbed and burned to the ground. Hmm. A little bit of shady business going on here. Right. In May of that same year, Louise also disappeared, which is not suspicious at all, especially when the neighbors reported Petiot as carrying a large trunk into his car that suspiciously resembled one that was recently pulled out of the river and with a corpse in it. But without a head, so it was kind of hard to identify, right? But, oh my gosh, you could like really just like get away with so much stuff back in the day. I know, right? There was no cameras. Like, people were just all like, hmm, yeah, she always carries a very large bag. <laughs> That's just Dr. Satan for you. The police did a brief search for Louise after all of these shenanigans, I guess, but they ruled her as a runaway. However, it's likely that Louise was actually Petio's first kill. Let's be honest, the police didn't want to do paperwork. No, they didn't care. Right. If Petio can avoid paperwork for a variety of things, the police can avoid doing paperwork. Honestly. I'm sure they still do today. They're probably just like, want to go for a smoke? Uh, That was a terrible French accent. (laughs) Sorry, I can't fill this paper right now. I have to take my 14th morning breakfast cigarette. (laughs) Anyway, after Louise's disappearance, Piano said, you know what? I think this is a good life-changing moment for me. I should run for mayor. Great. Like a perfectly sane man. Guy with marginal medical degree, possibly a murderer that's like, 
I'm gonna go into power now. Not only that, he's like a convicted felon at this point. Yeah. And during his election course in July of 1926, he also hired someone to disrupt said election. He paid a guy to interrupt the political debate he was having with an opponent by cutting the power to the debate stadium and blacking out the entire village and starting several fires. Because, you know, you can't have a great political campaign without causing chaos in your entire town first. I feel like he's starting to have kind of like a love affair with fire. Mm. Started... Maybe it wasn't Delevaux that he was having an affair with. It was fire. I mean, fire with the house, fire with this incident. We're going to see a few more fires, too. Yeah. He was hot. I guess he was so hot that his tactics actually worked because Petit won this mayoral election by a landslide. With a certified madman in charge, Petit ran Villeneuve-Serion as an overt kleptomaniac who not only embezzled funds from the government and stole money from the treasury, but also committed other crimes. He didn't really have the grace of Walpole. He didn't have that yeah, finesse. Yeah, yeah. He was very upfront about it. Walpole was, he was more suave and uh, subversive. Right. But because of Petio's medical practice, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, he's doing some shady shit, but he was a great doctor, so we trust him. I would say like Walpole is the kid that, like, goes to their mom and, like, Mom, can I have a cookie? And, like, Mom says no, and then goes over to Dad and be like, Dad, can I have a cookie? And then the dad's all like, sure. And then uh, the mom's like, I told him not. And then, like, the parents get into an argument, and then Walpole just, like, goes and gets the cookie. Oh, he doesn't get one cookie. He eats all of them. Yeah, he eats all the cookies. Whereas Marcel uh, Patio would probably just, like, grab a cookie out of the cookie jar, and they'd be like, what are you doing with that cookie? Nothing. Just direct eye contact, like, shoves the cookie in his mouth, like, what you gonna do? Right. You gonna file some paperwork with the police? (laughs) Fire! Runs. (laughs) (laughs) Now that he had secured his mayoral seat, Petio could finally settle down. In June of 1927, Petio got married to Josette Lebley. They had a son in April of 1928. So... Like we mentioned earlier, he's kind of gotten himself out of this criminal rut of this mental illness, like, diagnosis, in a way. Yeah, he's he's turned into a fancy bitch. Yeah, yeah. I'm a doctor. I'm a mayor. I'm a father now. He probably has a cravat on. (laughs) However, towards the end of 1928, as part of his mayoral seat, Petio got accused of stealing oil from the railroad department. Now, I do want to caveat. For people in the United States, it is very important to actually research your railroad commissioner. But that's an entire site. Yeah, I had no idea how much they control oil and whatnot. Totally voted wrong on that a few ballots ago. I was like, oh, man. So yes, railroad commissioner, actually very important. Yes. Surprisingly, Petio didn't actually steal from the railroad department, but... He did commit fraud by falsifying receipts and was fined 200 francs and eventually sent to prison for three months. And I would think that he was not mayor, maybe mayor. Did he he pardon himself? Ah, eventually. When he was first sent to prison, his mayoral status was suspended. But, of course, as you do when you're in a position of power, he was able to get his conviction reversed and reinstate himself. You know, with as many close calls as he had, he must have had just like a very silver tongue. I guess so. 
he's like dumb with his crimes, but just like able to kind of talk himself out of Maybe it. Maybe that's where that bedside manner comes in. Put I would on say that so. face. Yeah, very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Has the gift of glib, you could yes, say. Yes, yes. Anyway, in March 1930, uh, Petio was suspected of having an affair with and murdering uh, Henrietta de Boivre, who was found beaten and murdered inside of her burned-down house. The key witness for this whole political scandal and emotional scandal, who was going to testify, just so happened to be a patient of Petio for rheumatism. And before this patient named Fiscal could testify, he mysteriously died three hours after an injection that was given at Petio's medical office. I'm sure it was just an accident. This happens all the time. Oh, an air bubble or, oh, he had an aneurysm, at least according to Petio, who signed the death certificate. Just puts on the notes, faintly smells like almonds. It's cyanide. While Petio was liked by a lot of his citizens for building a bunch of schools, redoing the sewers and whatnot, he did have many complaints that were filed against him for theft and financial irregularities, actually, including 138 alien registration applications and 2,890 francs in fees that had been held in the city hall and never relayed to the proper authorities. Now, as a few politicians would be note to do, Petio blamed it on his secretary, but he was suspended as mayor once again in August of 1931, where he shortly thereafter resigned. Man, secretaries really take the brunt of everything, don't they? Mm, that's one way to put it. I did not Have steal that- relations. <laughs> <laughs> I did not steal the oil money. <laughs> in 1931, October 18th, uh, Petio won the election as a general concierge of the Yon district. Because I guess he was still popular, even though he had his criminal activities, like I mentioned about the school and the sewers and whatnot, and that, like, gift of glib. He was just a really charismatic guy. However, in, even in this position, he couldn't help himself and was stealing electric power from the village. So he's stealing blankets, he's stealing electricity, he's stealing oil. I think if you put... I don't know. This guy's got sticky fingers is probably an understatement. Yeah, if you put a bear trap in front of him, he'd probably reach in to grab it. That's all I'm saying. Or maybe he thought, you see a mouse trap, I see free cheese in a fucking challenge. Yeah, except he gets caught in the mouse trap yep. as he was arrested. <laughs> At trial, uh, Petio's defense was ruled as pure fantasy, probably because it's kind of hard to talk your way out of a courtroom. Also, like, what, stealing an entire city's worth of electricity? I did not steal the entire city's electricity. Are you sure? We saw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if someone stole my internet, I would find that person, like, within 30 minutes. Well, actually, it might be harder without the internet. I'll borrow my neighbor's internet and... <laughs> And find them. And jail is the nicest place they're going. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Petio was sentenced to 15 days in jail and a 300 franc fine. But because of bureaucracy and paperwork, as things are tendent to be, his trial and his charge was reduced due to a dragged out appeal. I don't know what kind of like rabbit foot this guy has. I want it. I want his lucky charms. Yeah, in a way, he's even luckier than Saad, who... Kept getting arrested, but kept getting out. This guy is doing the same thing, but getting more and more power than Saad could have dreamed. And he didn't even start as a noble. Exactly. Which is even crazier. Exactly. He was just all like, solve my problems with fire. 
Spell. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I would say that this is where his villain's revelation kind of comes in. Petio lost his council seat and had to move to Paris in 1933 because the village kind of figured out that he was a piece of shit. This is a little bit too far. This is the last straw. Yes. And thus he had to get the hell out of Dodge because back in the day, you can't track anyone. Yeah. So just pack your bags and move leave. To Paris. Yeah. And start a new more life. medical practice. Oh man. Wouldn't like how cool would it be just to be like go 20 miles one way and then you just are a completely different person. If only. X. Bye. No. Well, after moving to Paris, Petio started touting his doctoral abilities. So, obviously he knew that working in politics wasn't going to quite be his play, especially with all the paperwork involved. So, he decided that he was going to boast a little bit more. We know he's good at marketing. He decided to use a slew of bogus titles and acclaims and started offering many real, but also many fake treatments to the people of Paris that needed medical practice. Interestingly enough, this wasn't his defined practice when he was originally a doctor in the previous city. However, during this time, a lot of doctors didn't specialize. And you could actually just move like in between stuff. Like, so really, if you have the title of physician, you can be like a... A foot doctor, mm-hmm. and then like tomorrow you could be an arm doctor. So he wasn't even well versed in what he's doing in yeah. Paris. He's just Master all like, of none. Yeah, he's just like, what's the need here? Oh, I know how to market this. You got a tooth ailment, you got a hernia, you got hemorrhoids. This smells like piss. This is piss. I would say, after this move, this is where Peggio experiences a rebirth. He has lost his play in politics, but he is starting to reassert his claim as a doctor, despite how fake it is, despite his bogus credentials. Peggio started getting lots of patients and was actually, surprisingly, able to build a good reputation at his new medical practice. However, rumors started to spread amongst the town. Mm. A little bit faster, Paris is a little bit more hip to his games. A little bit more people keeping an eye on you. But right, but also still able to kind of blend into the crowd. Mm-hmm. It was the talk around town that he was actually performing illegal abortions. And also... He was getting people hooked on drugs. Now, I heard at this time, he himself was also starting to dabble in the drugs, specifically narcotics. I would say that he probably was on drugs already. Mm -hmm. It just makes the most amount of sense. Either that or maybe now that he has changed his practice, he has like a lot more access to the drugs. Because he's already doing fast cars, already doing fast women. You know, maybe now that he has... get fast himself. Exactly. Or slow. Fast in the morning, slow at night, maybe. Hey... Plus, he couldn't keep his kleptomania under control. So, Petio has this practice, but he's already starting to get a little bit of tarnish to his name in Paris. Thus, Petio was arrested again shortly after for theft, assaulting an officer, and sent to a sanitarium. But you want to guess what happens after that? Fire? He was again acquitted because of insanity. Uh... The doctor's insane. This boy needs therapy. You know, I bet he, by this point, he just knows exactly what to say in order to get insanity and to get out. Yeah, I mean, even though he had a short medical training, he's got that silver tongue, he knows the medical no, and also the patient no. Right. He's institutionalized on both sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And becomes the institution, really. In 1934, 
After Petiot got reinstated in his practice in Paris, one of his patients named Raymond Lanz never woke up after being treated for a mouth abscess. Like you mentioned earlier, he's kind of dabbling in all kinds of medical practice, so foot doctor, dentist. However, Hans's autopsy showed extreme levels of morphine in her system. I believe during this autopsy, they saw typical signs of being sedated. You have various cocktails that will ease your anxiety. Sometimes morphine may be involved, but the amounts that were used for this specific patient were above the normal levels by many means. However, no charges were brought against Petio. So he's already had a medical death as part of his practice, but is still getting away scot-free. Yes, which I think gave him an idea. He started to play a little bit more fast and loose with drugs. He actually established a pretty well-known practice of where he was purportedly tapering people off drugs by giving them smaller and smaller doses of said drugs. So like titrating? Yeah, like titrating in the system. So it doesn't like shock you or throw you into withdrawal if you have like morphine, cocaine, or like alcoholism. But really, I think it was just an excuse to basically give out drugs for like the money, the cash money. True, obviously. yeah, because it's not free even if he's your prescribing physician. Right. After all of this, in 1935, Petiot was investigated for narcotics violations. Now, there are cases that were on file because of this, but I don't think anything ever came from it. People were just seeing that he was doing shady stuff, but did not arrest him or imprison him or suspend his license in any way. Correct. I think he might have gotten his medical license revoked if this had gone on... Nowadays? Even back then, I think, it would have gotten his medical license taken away from him. However, there was the convenient timing of Germany invading France oh, wow. in 1939. Imagine that. You're worried about your medical license being revoked. But good old convenient World War II works out in your favor, I guess. Nazis to save the day? No, Question no. Mark? Maybe only for Petio. <laughs> and in 1940, Petio established himself as part of the resistance, actually, surprisingly enough. Hmm. Yeah. In a heroic kind of turn of events, he actually wrote false disability statements for French citizens who were drafted into forced labor by the Germans, or the Nazis, really. However, I also heard at the same time, after these forced labor workers from France came back for various medical issues, Petiu was over-prescribing narcotics again. Right, it only makes sense. It makes him a lot of money. Yeah, true. And because of this money... In 1941, Petiot bought another house on 21 Rue Le Soir, where he continued his practices and no. eventually malpractice. Did he practice medicine in his house, you think, at the time? I think for a while there he was. So this is basically him establishing his own clinic. I think I heard that he claimed it was some kind of psych institution, also probably like general doctor's office kind of thing. This actually reminds me of John Mulaney's recent special where he goes to see a doctor inside of an apartment complex who just basically prescribes him drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that is this guy. Yeah. So maybe in a past life, John Mulaney's recent doctor was... Dr. Satan? Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Satan. Yeah. As we mentioned, he was over-prescribing narcotics to sick workers, but in 1942, he actually got convicted of this. In fact, two addicts were actually going to testify against him, but they mysteriously disappeared. Nobody, no crime. 
Also, it kind of reminds me of like those two girls who sued McDonald's for making them fat. <laughs> Did they disappear? Well, I didn't disappear. Oh. <laughs> Maybe if this was like 1942, they would have. Maybe. McDonald's disappears, people. Either that or they would have had a mysterious heart attack. Well, I mean. Mm, mysterious. Yeah. Well, because nobody could testify against him for overprescribing narcotics, he was only fined 2,400 francs. Now, we know he is establishing a new medical practice, but this is when Petiot gets to, I would say, is his event horizon. During the German occupation of France, he took on an alias known as Dr. Eugene and began to scam people who were trying to flee the country and flee the Nazis. So, from hero, well, not actually, to downright scummy. Yeah, exactly. He created what was essentially a fake underground railroad, which he coined as fly talks, which I don't know why. Must be some type of French pun. I guess. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He claimed he worked for Argentinian authorities, or at least collaborated with them, to help people escape Nazi-occupied France through non-existent routes from France to Portugal to South America, specifically Argentina. And he offered these services for the low, low price of 25,000 francs. Wow, what a bargain. Oh, it's so great. Actually, it's not that bad if, you know, I had to flee for my life. Fair enough. Although, I mean, he should be doing it for, for free. Yeah, he should yeah, be doing it for free. If you're a resistance fighter, like, you're not making profit off of it. <laughs> Could you imagine if, like, Harry Tubman's like... I'll get you out of here, but... <laughs> that story would have yeah. gone, like, much, much differently. Yeah. Anyway. Petio also had three accomplices that helped him with this fraudulent endeavor. They sent victims, which included Jewish people, resistance fighters, and various criminals fleeing the Gestapo, plus many more, to Petio's medical clinic under the guise of escape. And once they got to Petio's house... He probably told them that they were going to get vaccinated or that mm. they had to get vaccinated in order to get into the countries that they were escaping into. Yeah. Which, he, complete lie. He put the guys like, I'm in contact with Argentinian authorities. You need blah, blah, blah vaccine to you need actually an anthrax get into the country. vaccine. <laughs> yeah. However, instead of giving them an anthrax vaccine or Argentinias and... La vaccine, you know, vaccine names. That's exactly how they're pronounced. Instead of giving them that, he just gave them good old cyanide. Wow. And then once they were foaming at the mouth, you know, doing the whole cyanide thing. Like that one guy recently in Russia. Anyway, he would just steal all their valuables. Of course. They're yeah. dead. I mean, they paid me this money. They I mean, left their belongings. It's mine now. Exactly. You just get a little bit of that extra. Just a little bit of the extra on top. Petio started by dumping the corpses of his victims into the Seine River, but later started changing his methods. He submerged corpses in quicklime, which was supplied by his brother, actually, in either the basement or his yard, or he incinerated them in a furnace in said basement. Now, what's actually quite funny about this is it was believed in the time that quicklime would help dissolve bodies. Like, it was kind of like a common myth, kind of like a hydrochloric acid from, like, Breaking Bad nowadays. But instead, quicklime seems to dissolve the bodies, but actually mummifies them. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't it kind of preserve them? Like, it dehydrates, all, it removes the moisture, but you're still there. Like, you're not gone whatsoever. 
Exactly. And you would think that this guy, if he had any kind of like medical knowledge at all, would Proper try to test medical this. Knowledge. Yeah, but come on. It's Petio. It's Petio. It's also World War II. He's just trying to make a pretty penny by killing as many people as possible. Yeah, there's bodies left and right. There's syphilis running around. Who knows what's going on? Anyway. Petio eventually kind of made, in a way, a big name for himself. Because the Gestapo ended up hearing about this supposed fly talks network. And this escape route to South America. So they began investigating what was going on. Including Gestapo agent Robert Jodkum, which forced a prisoner, Yvonne Dreyfus, to infiltrate the supposed network, hoping to gain information and knowledge on this Jewish conspiracy, apparently. Long story short, Dreyfus vanished. Hmm. Under I mysterious circumstances. Why. There was also a later informer who was successfully able to infiltrate what was going on at Petio's house. However, the Gestapo arrested Petio's accomplices named Fourier, Pintar, and Nezondet. But not much was disclosed from this. So, in classic Nazi fashion, mm. they tortured them. Wow. Surprise. Surprise, surprise. Eventually, they confessed that uh, Dr. Eugene was Marcel Petio, which... I guess he wasn't really good at getting his accomplices to go with his cover. Not (laughs) the greatest strategic mind, I would say. Yeah. Anyway, in May of 1943, Petio was arrested by the Gestapo after they infiltrated his Flytox organization. Kind of of like a spy novel, almost, in a way. Oh, for sure. Like, real-life spy shit. Right. And so, Petio was jailed for the suspicion of smuggling people out of Nazi-occupied France. However, of course, because Petio was a fucking liar, the Nazis couldn't actually get real information about this purported huge network of spies as part of fly talks. They ended up releasing him. Even after their torture, they couldn't find further information from his accomplices. And, as we know now, it was only him, his wife, and those three guys. It wasn't a huge network, so of course the Nazis aren't going to get information out of anyone because there is no information. Now, we're about to get into the, really the meat and potatoes mm-hmm. of his vileness. However, I want to stop right here and just say, if he had just stopped right here, he would have been a French hero. No True. one, No one would have known. Like, the Gestapo would have been, like, he would have been, like, put on the paper for helping people escape, even though he really didn't. He would have had that reputation. And French resistance fighters would have seen that, even if they had no, like, factual proof. They'd be like, oh, we heard this guy was helping people get out. That's good. And you never heard of them again, so obviously they must have escaped. They're not in the Gestapo body count. And that they're no longer here in France. I think I heard even... For some of the people that Petio scammed, he wrote false letters in their name from somewhere like Argentina or somewhere in South America. So if you can't trace back... Right, this could have been the perfect crime mm-hmm, for him. Mm-hmm. But no, no. He just had this inner compulsion. He couldn't stop himself. I literally think he could not control himself at all from like committing crimes. Like with kleptomania, crimes. unable to stop stealing, he was like, oh, I'm gonna... I have to kill. I just gotta do it. I just can't stop killing people. So this is the story of how he finally gets caught. Even though it takes a long ass time. In March of 1944, 
Petiot was away from 21 Rue Lusquer, and there was something suspicious going on there, despite him not being there. His neighbors reported tons of smoke that had a disgusting odor coming from the chimney of his house, so being the good neighbors they were, they called the police and fire department. So they all got there. No one was home, so they're like, okay, how do we get in there? And it wasn't like a big ball of fire. It was just a lot of smoke out of the chimney. Smelling bad, very sus, like something could go wrong. We don't know if something is, so we're being preventative. Right. And you'd think that would be like a little bit more serious, but apparently the smoke had been going on for like days, if I'm not mistaken. Five days. Yes. And all the neighbors are like, what the fuck? What's going on? What is he doing in there? This is lowering my property value. If only they knew. If only they knew it was to come. So they're like, okay, who owns this building? And they was like, oh, it's uh, Marcel Pio. And uh, they called him and they were like, hey, what's going on? There's a lot of smoke coming out of your chimney. Are you, You're not home. This is a safety hazard for the neighborhood. Get here right away. And he's like, oh, sure. I'll, I'll be right there right away. Uh, please don't barge in or anything. I'll be right there. Give me an hour. Yeah. Long story short, he's probably pacing in his office like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck? I need a plan. I need a plan. I need a plan. But since he's not the smartest of guys, he hasn't really come up with a plan in a timely amount. And the police do what police do. And just break the doors and go in full SWAT team. Good excuse to use the uh, door basher. (laughs) Yeah. Petio's not there in an hour. They're like, all right, bring out the big guns. Actually, I think they, like, smash a window on, like, the second story or whatever. But whatever. Smash it. And so they're thinking, like, yay, we get to smash it. Go pull out, like, put out a small fire. He's probably burning his trash or something. But lo and behold. It was a fire. Not a trash fire. Not an oven fire. But the basement stove contained burning human remains. Oh, fun. And on top of the burning human remains, scattered across the floor was an arm, a leg, just a random penis. Yeah, multiple dismembered parts littered around not only his basement, but also in a quicklime pit in his yard. Woo! You know, most people put pools in the backyard of their house, but this guy, quicklime pit with corpses. Grab a bastard. To quote one of our sources, Scattered throughout the property were suitcases, clothing, and assorted property of his victims. And the chief coroner also cataloged 33 pounds of charred bones, 24 pounds of unburned fragments, 11 pounds of human hair, and three garbage cans full of pieces too small to identify. Wow. Yeah. So... It's a lot on their hands. Just a little bit. Oh, routine. Uh, there might be a fire in this house. Just find a charnel house of disembodied parts. I even heard there was one room that had, like, chains on the wall. Yeah. And to, like, hold people. Like, almost like a, you know, your standard torture room. Mm-hmm. Torture basement. Yay! Hey. He saw what La Laurier did in New Orleans with interior design, and he was just trying to pay his respects for such great, great uh, architecture. Uh, and he's just spicing it up a little bit, adding some uh, some spice into the household, getting it Frenchified, you know. Marie Kondo would not approve. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the funniest thing is, is he wanted to see everyone's reaction to his wonderful interior design around this time. <laughs> and he actually showed up 
while this was going on, while the like the search of his house was going oh, on. Oh, so he did show up. He didn't just ghost the police. No, no, he was just really, really late. He, he's like me when you like ask me to show up basically anywhere. I'm I'm on my own time. I'm I'm on Trin's time. Just kidding. I'm early to everything. Hello, job prospectors. Anyway, so he shows up and they're like, "Are you?" And he's like, "No, no, no. I'm I'm uh I'm the." The brother to the guy. Putting on that mask again. Exactly. He's like, I was just stopping to see... I was in the neighborhood wanted to bring my bro cookies, but cops are here. That's awkward. Awkward. And he's like, I had no idea that, like, all this is going on. And then, like, someone was like, hey, aren't you Marcel uh, Petio? And he's like, oh. (laughs) And they're like, it's him. It's him. Get him. Get the bastard. Get him! He was actually apprehended. But, silver tongue. Quick on his feet. Mm-hmm. He thinks fast, and he goes, No, 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 don't worry about it. Yes, there are bodies in the basement. There are random dicks and weird things all over my house of dead people. But don't worry about it. These corpses, they were all Germans and Viva la resistance! The Parisian police had bigger fish to fry, so they go, Yeah, scam's likely, I guess. Release the bastard. Hey, anyone who kills Nazis, good in my book. Yeah, so... so that's basically the policy. They didn't do their full diligence, but they also didn't have time to be investigating serial murder because there was mass genocide happening. Yeah, I think that might be a little bit higher on the priority list. Yeah, just slightly. A little bit, a little bit. After Petio's release, he went into hiding, of course, to evade the police. He's like, oh shit, they're on my trail. They've seen what I've done. So he begins adopting numerous aliases, and eventually actually changes his name to Henri Valerie, and he joins the FFI, or French Forces Interior. Now, surprisingly, he actually became a captain in charge of, like, counter-espionage and prisoner interrogations. I would imagine because he already kind of had the espionage things, like, in works from pretending to get people to flee... And then also he was good at quote-unquote advanced interrogation techniques because of his previous work, you could say. What a weird life, man. Yeah. It's like, catch me if you can. Yeah, yeah, but serial doctor killer. (laughs) Right. After becoming captain of this counter-espionage organization, a newspaper called La Résistance published some allegations against Petio. This newspaper accused him of collaborating with German occupiers and called him a, quote, soldier of the Reich who had allegedly donned a German uniform to hunt down French patriots. And of course, being Petio, he has to maintain that face even if he's in hiding. This will not stand. You know, they probably also should have charged him with a bit of narcissism. (laughs) No kidding. The investigators of Petio's case actually knew he was still in Paris after going on the lam. On the lam! On the lam! Because of his narcissism, he ended up delivering a letter to his former defense attorney from the 1942 narcotics case, claiming that these published allegations were lies. Now, I think at this point, the actual police knew that this whole Nazi killing thing was not the real farce, story. Yeah. They, I think they had identified a good amount of the bodies at this point, mm. but still were working on the case. Yes. Because there was 
so many bodies. bodies yeah so many bodies and i i don't know at this point in time specifically but a lot of them of course were jewish people trying to flee nazi occupation so if this guy is claiming oh yeah i killed a bunch of germans or all of these people that were traitors investigators are saying this is not the case and thus in 1944 march 13th the search for video began oddly enough because of his alias as Valerie, Petio was actually drafted to join this hunt to find himself. Ooh, it's kind of like when Adele entered into like that impersonator contest for Adele's. So it was like Adele impersonating someone else, trying to impersonate Adele, who was actually Adele. Yeah, it's exactly like that, except with a uh, French serial killing doctor. Awesome. Yeah, he became part of this investigation that... Didn't drag on for too long, but dragged on for a while, and it was enough to get his family involved. His family were apprehended and interrogated, where his brother actually confessed to being the one who delivered the quicklime to the murder house. Nice job, bro. <laughs> what a rat. But, surprise, surprise, Marcel Petio was still on the run as of June 6, 1944, when the Allied troops invaded France the investigations kind of ground to a halt as a bunch of stuff was happening, obviously. Mm. Things were changing hands, you know. Yeah, we've talked about bureaucracy a lot in this episode, so especially during a Second World War, it's not out of the realm of possibility that some kind of criminal investigation is going to kind of fall under the wayside. Right. This guy is so lucky. What? I need this guy's luck. Honestly, I have the worst luck in the world. Ah, but his luck was soon to run out. Many months later, October of that year, Petio let his mask slip a little bit. He got recognized at a Paris metro station and was finally taken into custody. Now, it was actually really interesting what was on him at the time. Some things, standard, like he had a pistol. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who had a mm-hmm. pistol here at the time. But then he had 31,700 francs on him, which mm-hmm. a bit suspicious. A Maybe he just came from a really high-paying client. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Kind of, kind of fishy. But the dead giveaway is he had fifty passports on him, or fifty like identity documents, or like yeah. papers. And I feel shady just having two passports. Oh yeah, one was in his coat, like trench coats worth of uh, birth certificates and stuff. Yeah, one day he was Jean Claude. The next day he was Mickey Mouse. <laughs> he was all over the place. Now, after getting caught, he still tried to worm his way out of it. He claimed to be a patriot and a resistance fighter. But people weren't buying his bullshit for much longer. Yeah, he can, you can only have, like, the gift of glib go so far for you until people are all like, Nah, kind of think you're lying, dude. I would imagine the government was also kind of feeling pressure. Like, now that the war is starting to wane down, people are like, You know a bunch of people have gone missing, right? Like, not just in concentration camps and being shot by Nazis, but there's also been people just... Gone. Yeah, disappeared. We're tired of random dicks in the street. Honestly. (laughs) Honestly, please please stop. We're actually arresting you for littering. Put your dicks in the biohazardous waste bins on the side of the sidewalk, please. Exactly. That's what I've been trying to say. Although Petio tried to claim these various excuses, he was imprisoned in La Santé prison. Upon investigation, a real investigation this Finally. time, right? The French police had found that he had no friends 
in any of the major like resistances or like resistant groups. And some of the groups that he actually spoke of had never even existed. Like fly talks. He was trying to pull like a Kaiser Soze. He was just like making shit up on the fly. Being like, oh yeah, oh it was this guy. Maybe that's where fly talks came from. He pulled shit on the fly and used toxic chemicals to kill people. Or just talked about it. True. Anyway, there was also no proof of any of his accomplishments that he said he did. Like he didn't bash anyone's brain like any nazi's brains in with a bat there was like no record of any of Mm -hmm. this he didn't help french fighters or patients together so with all of this in mind with a proper investigation happening on march 18th 1946 petio was finally put on a legit trial with his defense resting on his claim that he was the resistance fighter but we all know that's a crock of shit he claimed that uh, the members of the Fly Talks organization must have killed them and buried them without any of his knowledge. So he's feigning ignorance in trial. Yep. But the crowd loved him. He was, like, super entertaining. And the crowd, the jury, I, I would say probably everyone but the judge and, the, like, yeah. the lawyers. They're they probably were like, ah. time. Yeah, they're probably like, the losing judge. their mind. Yeah. Petio harassed prosecutors and titillated the audience. Kind of like Bundy, he had a lot of admirers in the crowd. And you know, to be fair, that's how I met Trin when he was on trial for the war crimes he committed by destroying a galaxy long, long ago. Worth it. Well, after making the crowd laugh, the prosecutor turned to them and screamed, Does the sanctity of life mean nothing to you? Which was only followed by more laughter from the crowd. Laughter all around. I guess after the Second World War, people are like, well... They have a uh, grim this, sense of humor. Yeah, this guy murdered a bunch of people. Ha, <laughs> that's nothing compared to Hitler. This guy's funny, at least. Right, look at this clown. Only has, like, a few hundred bodies. Anyway. After testimony from the detective, Petio was charged with 27 counts of willful homicide for profit. Estimated at 200 million francs, which were committed with premeditation and malice against men, women, and children. And amidst these 27 counts, Peccio himself actually admitted to 19 of the murders. But in totality, it's estimated that he murdered between 60 to 200 actual people. Damn. Well... I guess that kind of gets you a death sentence, maybe. Hmm, one would think. I actually found this pretty interesting, as they were still using the guillotine at this time. I mean, the guillotine was stopped being used in the 80s, right? I believe so. Yeah, so, 1946, May 25th, Petio was sentenced to death via the aforementioned guillotine. His last words before his decapitation were, Gentlemen, I ask you not to look. This will not be pretty. According to witnesses that viewed Petio's execution, he was smiling on his way up to the guillotine and as his head tumbled into the basket. And thus, the reign of terror for Dr. Satan had finally ended. You know, I bet he has a chair, though. Like, in hell. So, I mean, he's probably why he's smiling. He's like, I have a nice office suite. Uh, No regrets. 
The commute's really short. There's only a little bit of the tires sticking to the pavement as he drives to work. Must be kind of weird on the way to work, though, seeing Hitler be like, whoa, dude. Right? Well, that wraps up Petio's story. So how about we get into his villain's arc? Yeah. So to summarize, we would say probably his threshold is mm, like mental illness or instability. Yeah, I think the instability. He didn't have a specific trauma event. Like, we were talking about most serial killer points, which typically start with some form of head trauma in youth. But he didn't have that, although he did exhibit convulsions, sleepwalking, bedwetting, and killing animals. Notably, bedwetting and killing animals are typical serial killer shit as well. And I'm sure his mom dying couldn't have helped with that. Yeah. Or his dad being like, oh, bye. (laughs) Right. Now, unlike most of the villains we've covered, he didn't have a specific mentor. I think we touched on this with uh, Cameron. Dr. Cameron. Yeah, and maybe a little bit with Humbert as well. Being part of institutions, in a way, acts as a thematic mentor for Petio. Not only going through medical school, but also being institutionalized for psychiatric issues. He learns what it's like to be a patient, how it's like to treat patients, and do bad in both ways yeah he's able to see both sides of the coin Mm -hmm. and i think that gives him a lot of insight to the human psyche and that's where he gets a lot of his silver tongue from as he's able to convince both sides of basically whatever he knows how people think however i guess he was never insightful enough to understand or at least try and avoid his temptations and motivations, which were money and possessions, notably through his kleptomaniac actions, stealing, robbing, etc. Yeah, he probably couldn't understand himself, so he could maybe understand other people, but probably when he reflected into his, like, inside, it was just like a blank slate. Like, all he could see is, like, a I just... god complex. Maybe a god complex. I, I really think it was mostly just, like, the thrill. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. stop. Like, it was, like, a, an addiction. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier the kleptomania always stealing probably was intrinsic in his acts of murders as well. Like, even if he didn't need it. Like I said, yeah. he could have stopped. He could have just been a hero during, yeah. like, the like the resistance time. Wouldn't this be a different world? Anyway, he has kind of, like, a relevation or death with... The loss of his mayoral seat. Yeah, he rose to a position of power and... Kind of had everything. Yeah, and despite how long it took, he threw that away and finally got a taste of like, oh shit, this can happen. Just for some electricity. (sighs) And some oil. And some cash. (laughs) No, mostly the electricity did him in. He learned that he can lose his power. But... That also prompted his rebirth of, ah, well, the best way to keep power is to be a doctor and doing medical malpractice. I actually think his relevation here was, uh, oh, I can get away with a bunch of stuff, but people are eventually going to find out. Okay, what is the best way for people not to find out? He gets transformed into basically shutting people up, I would say. Oh, okay. So you think the revelation is him learning that, like, how to hide the body, basically? Basically. I think he's actually really considering murder here for the first time, Mm. especially after his uh, first killing with his mistress. True. And 
the medical stuff kind of comes in here as well because it gives him an avenue to access to many drugs. Uh, Easy ways to kill people as well. Yeah, being able to sedate them, being able to gas them, and then the ability to chop up their bodies and do what he wants with them, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess that rebirth also eventually morphs into the villain's event horizon because as he starts taking this evil doctor role so seriously, I I think one could argue crossing that threshold of breaking the doctor's Hippocratic oath, which demands that physicians work for a benefit of their patients to do no harm. That's where he loses anything redeemable. Yeah. If you're a kleptomaniac thief and you're a very suspicious doctor you're not great, but the point that he's actually, like, confirmed murdering multiple people, not hurting anyone, I think is where there's no return for him. Right. And also, I would say, I think he had his murders, like, a little bit before that. Like, he had, like, one oh, murder yeah. before there that and whatnot. But this is really the uh, event horizon because so now... it becomes mass. There's a mask? Well, I mean, there's always been a mask, but well, I think... It, it becomes mass, like, mass murder. Oh, not yes. just a few. Like, it's... Just, and on, and on top of that mass murder, I think that he really alienates himself from both sides. Both the German side, the French side, the human side, you could say. I think the human side more so. Definitely. And he abandons his wife and kids to go on the run, uh, throws his brother under the bus, or tried to, stealing from everyone, even stealing off of, like dead people's bodies after he had conned them. He's really reached the height of his villainy. He's turned his small-time game into just being like, fuck it, let's see how bad this can get. I would actually say he's reached the lowest of his villainy because how low do you have to steep to be not only murdering people, but stealing from corpses in Moscow? Mm, me and Red Dead. Well... He finally got his comeuppance with his atonement, actually getting charged, finally, for 27 counts of willful homicide for profit, and then eventually his resolution by being executed through guillotine. And I guess that leaves his legacy of us talking about him today. I mean, obviously, we're not the only people that have talked about him. He's inspired a lot of true crime aficionados. I mean, the graphic novel we talked about earlier... But also having his name written in the books as the French serial killer, Dr. Satan. I'd also say that one of his legacies is that he might have inspired uh, a doctor who was a serial killer, who killed hundreds and hundreds of people by basically uh, injecting them with like different opiates of sorts or different medications and killing them so that he could take their prescriptions and money. So he might have even inspired one of the other most prolific serial killers of all time to do that trade. Maybe the uh, reading and be all like, shit, this guy has a good idea. Hashtag squad goals. <laughs> They're probably burning in hell close together right now. Of course. Of course. All right. You want to discuss this villainous archetype? Sure. I would say that he's probably archetypically just a criminal. I mean, yeah. He's definitely in it for money and power. That's his, like, prime motivation. I don't even think he's in it for power. I think he's just in it for, like, that money. I think he just wants to, like, steal and fuck people over, but not, like, in a, like, hold the power kind of way. Because... Yeah, unlike someone like Humbert, who is actually in it for the power. 
because we know during a lot of his killings, he mostly just like sedated them, put them under, killed them. They didn't even know what was going on. He wasn't trying to like lord power over them mm-hmm. or he didn't really take his mayoral job like super seriously. He also, as far as I understood, didn't get like any pleasure. Like he wasn't like, I'm going to torture you before you die or get any sexual gratification from his murders. It was just like. It was strictly business. Yeah. He was like a tiny raccoon, like just trying to hoard as much gold as possible. Don't defame raccoons like that. Okay, okay, fair, fair. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's just like, ooh, shiny. I think he was also very disturbed. I mean, as evident with the psychological problems he experienced throughout his lifetime, he had a lot of inner personality, maybe not struggles, but. In the reading of him, he seems like the IRL Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with that balance of, I am a doctor, I should be doing good things, but then going, eh, cool, I only had eight months of training, so I'm gonna kill my patients. I think he was also a bit of a beast. I think we had a beast on here before. Wasn't it Humbert, just like last episode? I think we touched on Humbert having a little bit of the beast archetype in him. I think it also kind of goes here with his kleptomaniac. He just can't control himself. Yeah. Like, like I said, he just, so many points where he could just like dialed it back just a little bit, but no, he always gets like expelled from school. He always has to like steal something, even if it's not to his benefit. Yeah. That constant manipulation of desperate people that were trying to flee a horrific situation when he could have just like stopped, as you mentioned got out of it not hurt people he wants to go further or he probably could have gotten more money if he just targeted maybe different victims if he targeted rich people during the war he might have been able to get a lot more money that way but no i think it was like kind of like the the weird act of it Mm. you know i think it, it would have been really interesting if he was actually like going after germans like German doctors, like he touted yeah. himself to have, and that would have been a whole different situation. Oh yeah, that would have been really good. That would have been a really good story. I think also there's a slight hint of authority figure just because of his doctoral status. Yeah. Even though like his training, he doesn't seem like a legit doctor, but he was respected for a time as a doctor. And so I think he had authority over people that he used. I just think he was criminal. I just think he was dumb, criminal, who happened to take things very, very far. Would you say he's stupid evil? I'd say he might be kind of stupid evil. Either stupid evil or chaotic evil. Yeah? I mean, fires everywhere. <laughs> body parts flown across the Burning place. Burning friends in his wake, leaving dicks in the street. Stealing electricity. Yeah, to be fair, he did do basically whatever he wanted. Hurting people without regard for anything going on. Like... The Holocaust is happening, and he's like, but I can kill people, too. Right. It, he didn't follow, like, German laws. He didn't follow French laws. He I don't even know if he followed his own laws. He couldn't, like, he, he's probably like... He didn't have any, like, standards set. He was just like, maybe he's just, He was impulsive to a T. Mm-hmm. Like, a force of nature, just chaotic. Yeah, I agree with that. I think initially when I was reading about him, I thought he may be kind of neutral evil. The fact that he was trying to evade German police and also French police playing both sides. Um, but I think that there was just too much chaos in what he was doing. Like he, the lack of regard for 
human life or anything like that. I think he was more chaotic than anything else. With some sprinkle of stupid evil in there every once in a while. Yeah, I would say there was some stupid evil there every once in a while. But to be fair, he was able to get elected to mayor and convince people that he was a legitimate doctor for a very, very long time. So you couldn't call him, like entirely stupid yeah he's not a complete imbecile but he made some like dumb choices definitely definitely so i think uh in terms of his villain alignment chaotic evil probably be the best way to describe dr pizio i would say so yeah you know what's more chaotic though what's that outro bitch so what made you villainous this month I performed an abduction. Ooh. What did you abduct? An alien species? Hmm. I wish. Well, I guess in a way it's alien to our comprehension. Hmm. I abducted a cat from the SPCA to foster. How villainous. Well, I, I guess it's not villainous for her because she needed to be rehomed, even if temporarily. Might be more villainous for the resident cat. Because she is having a decent time, but neither cats have lived together. So they're both learning boundaries, and they're both little chaos cheddar goblins. And it's fun. It's interesting. I've heard one screaming in the background every every so often. Actually, fair enough. If you hear any little... (coughs) That is the foster cat, Miss Ty. So we abducted her in the nicest way possible. And so far, actually, I just imagine you being like Britta, like free the cats, free the the cats, yeah, from Community. No, I I can only handle two, so we're at max capacity in this UFO. I see, I see. I mean, you gotta travel light. Have you have you seen the price of uranium these days? (laughs) Ridiculous. What made you villainous? Well, I. Committed grand larceny. Da-da-na! Da-da-na-na! I stole a piano. A grand piano? A grand piano! Now, how did you... How do you steal a grand piano? With finesse. You have to know the technique. I, in fact, how do you think I couldn't steal a grand piano? I feel offended as a professional thief. I'm sorry. Thief. I'm sorry. I know you have some moving straps and that can move anything, be it two-ton safes or a cat. I'm far superior to Petio when it comes to thievery. Mmm, true, true. Are you saying, are you admitting to being a kleptomaniac? Mmm, I plead the fifth. Anyway... Um, actually, there is, where where I live, there's, like, this garbage area where everyone throws this garbage, but I, like, call it the magical garbage area <laughs> because, like, all of, like, the biggest things in my house exist from this garbage area, Are including... You a trash goblin? Well, it's a, it's a piano. It's a grand piano. <laughs> no, who throws that out? Like, to be fair, it is only out of tune. It's not broken it's not missing keys it's just yeah it's just tune. it's just a little off tune she needs some tuning she's gonna sit down and like for an afternoon or a few afternoons and then retune it and bada bing bada boom i mean i even found a 
uh, 52-inch, like, screen TV in that same trash area. And, uh, All I needed was some nice touches on the circuit boards. Yeah, yeah. So I just, like, shook off the back, uh, did a little bit of circuitry, and boom. Like, a $1,000 TV. In the trash now works. Yeah. And just all it took was, like, a few hours of my time and some solder. <laughs> I, I wouldn't... I guess it's villainous in the way that you described of larceny, but... It's I grand larceny, because it was a grand, grand piano. Grand larceny. I'm sorry. Yeah. But... I think you did a truly nefarious and good thing of rehoming the piano. Yes, absolutely. And and now I can further my villainy by forcing my friends to always hear me play trash piano. Well, if you'd like to be part of the World Domination Committee, follow us on whatever interface you listen to podcast on and leave us a review. Infiltrate the Wired with us at worlddomination.ca. Send us some villainous correspondence to committee at worlddomination.ca. You can also read our snarky and very infrequent remarks on the dying hellscape of Twitter at the WDC podcast. See what kind of thievery I'm up to at trend.tech. And help proliferate the gay agenda by reading what we do in the closet. Pride month is almost over. Read it before Pride Month is done and we turn into Wrath Month! Well, that's all, fuckers! This podcast was brought to you by... Bad Baby! Productions. <laughs>